0: So just to help you, if you're new, we have uh, several visitors this morning and we usually go through books of the Bible. We are doing a series on first and second Thessalonians. We'll start in chapter one, move all the way through the book and uh, in both of those books, we'll travel through them. And so if you're trying to think through first Thessalonians and you're here today, first time, kind of a clean slate. Maybe you've read it before, but not thought that much about it. Uh, One outline that really helped me was to look at it in, in terms of. Uh, maybe just kind of how the church uh, applies the truth here, and so uh, someone help me with this. But chapter one is would be defined as like Christian evangelism. It is how like Christians went and shared the gospel, and people believed that gospel. Chapters two and three are Christian ministry, and that's the focus on like once someone believed, how did Paul and his companions help them grow in the faith? Chapters four, chapter four, verses one through twelve, is Christian behavior. You would say, "How does a Christian live?" They've become believers; they're growing in Christ. The leaders are leading them in that way. What does it mean to live uh, uh, the, the Christian life? And so, there's some uh, specific things, some examples that are given there. Chapter four, verses thir- four thirteen, sorry, through five eleven, is Christian hope, and that's where we are today. Last week we looked at four thirteen through eighteen. This week. 5, 1 through 11, and all of it's centered around the Christian's hope. And then the last part in five twelve through 28 is Christian community. So those things kind of help you as you're moving through today. Like if you get kind of lost for a minute, uh, it's we're talking about the Christian's hope. And so you will see that as we kind of progress. Now, uh, this is interesting to uh, another author noted this. There's two distinct problems Kind of the when, when we talk about hope or we just think about life in general. There are two distinct problems that have always fascinated and often perplexed people. And one is in the first one you might say is what happens after death? Uh, where are our loved ones and will we see them again? That was what we looked at last week. Oftentimes you're asking those questions when someone is about to die or someone in your family or someone close to you has died. You just want to what's what's the deal there? What can I kind of think about? How can I hold on to something here that will kind of help me in this time? The next thing that you would say, and this is a thing important to see, is the second part that people kind of ask a lot is what will happen at the end of the world? Is there going to be a day of reckoning? And if so, how might I prepare for it? And so that's kind of what when Paul's addressing that, he's addressing issues that are very big um, questions that we would have. So I think that's important that you see that. Uh, The other thing just to say is we were talking about this on Friday morning. I meet with the guys that do the discussion beforehand uh, on on Sunday mornings where we discuss the text that we're studying uh, on this day. And one of the things we were talking about is like, does the culture think about the end? Uh, Do they think about um, what's going to happen or what's going to happen at the end? Or how do they think about uh, the world coming to an end? And uh, we talked about this in the study of uh, Daniel. But one of the things is um, uh, right now a real popular show is about a zombie kind of apocalypse, The Walking Dead. And people like really dig that. Look, Mike is back there. Yes. Anyway, they really dig that uh, that show. And, they you know, and people are thinking through that and really kind of uh, I guess maybe they kind of come to this conclusion that, it'll, you know, end up with zombies. I don't know. Another thing is a, a show called Revolution. And uh, it's about a blackout that happens in like 15 years later, kind of what the world's like. And so, you know, everything's kind of messed up um there's reality tv shows about people that kind of have these evacuation plans and they come up with plans to how to like uh get their family out of town if everything like red dawn style takes place and if that happens you know we can get our family out we put on these suits and we drive out of town so maybe you're you kind of are into that but all those are kind of entertainment based and sometimes here's what happens i think because of the nature of uh Uh, The the way that, I don't know, when people have those kind of questions, they turn to kind of like those kind of things. Sometimes it's trivializing stuff. And so you kind of make something up, like you do something like that, where you kind of make up these uh, wild kind of ideas of what the world would be like. And, And it's a way of sometimes I think we kind of trivialize it. But there is something within us that says, uh, Uh, there's going to probably be a day of accounting for all your evil deeds kind of feel or whatever. We can think that something's going to be addressed, something's going to happen. Or we look at the world and say, it can't continue the way it is. Everything's going to change. And so when we as Christians are talking to people that don't know the Lord or have questions about that kind of stuff, we need to be able to say, like, this is how the Bible explains the end. And we need to know that. And I think it's very important. It gives us both hope, but also allows us to give hope to others. And so I think it's important as you look at this to kind of see it. Now, we also just have to say that like when we see it trivialized, there is a certain level of that where we think, man, uh, this is not something to play with because it is a serious thing. The Bible very clearly presents that God is both creator and that he is redeemer. That means he made us. And he has saved; he, he, he has come to save us. But what happens is if we turn away from him in rebellion against our creator and savior, there is no hope. The Bible very clearly presents that. Those who do not trust in Christ alone to save them have no hope. If they reject their creator and redeemer as the way, the means by which they can enter into relationship with God and be with him forever, they will have no hope in the end judgment will fall and they will be among those who are destined for eternity without God. I think it's important that we see this now. Amos five. and this is kind of important for religious people here this morning. Maybe you've been all your life really religious. Well, Israel in the Old Testament, the prophets a lot of times would go and speak to these religious people and they would say, hey, religious people, you think you're in good shape. And you're smiling about the day of the Lord and you're real happy and it's like really exciting that God's going to come and get everything straightened out. Amos and many of the other prophets say things like this. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and bear and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. It's not the day of the Lord, darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it. There's something about this text that says to you that you can be like claiming Christianity and be real religious and, and, you know, have all these things you think together. But but he goes and speaks to those people and he says, if you listen, the road that you're on shows me that this day is not going to be a day of joy. It will be a day of fear and frightening to you. And so I think it's just important we see that because all of us need to kind of face this soberly. But at the same time, there should be if you're walking with Christ and you know him, this should be something that we should fill your heart with comfort but we kind of have to be be serious about it because we have to think like if someone does not re, uh, accept christ they have no hope if those who are religious they go to church but they are not in walking with the lord really then they have no hope but those who repent of their sins trust in christ and by the grace of god are walking with him they're to be comforted by this text all of those people this morning i think need to hear that myself included all of us need to examine ourselves so first Thessalonians chapter five verse one. When you're looking at this, it's it's been really a powerful thing because it's kind of like they're asking the question that people ask all the you know throughout history. I think they've asked, and it's kind of like, "Well, just give us the date. We want to know when Jesus is coming back." And it's really like not a good solution because God's not going to give us the date, and you'll see that here, chapter five verse one. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers. so you see that like there's something here I think we need to see and we put this in the study guide this week but there's a couple of passages that speak of of like the times and the seasons that's really probably what they're wanting to know they're just kind of wanting to kind of get a clear picture of when this is going to take place but Daniel 2 21 says this God changes the times and the seasons he sets up kings and takes them down Matthew 24 verse 36 says but concerning the day or the hour no one knows nobody knows when this is going to take place. It's very important that not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only. So there's this time that's set. No one knows the time. We just know it's going to take place. God's in charge of that. He's orchestrating that. He set it up. So it's important that we understand that. Now, why is that information good? Like if you were to say, I'm not going to know. I mean, how will I ever know? It's not, man, that stinks. Listen, the information that God gives us is that there's a time coming when the day of the Lord will come and God will judge the wicked and he will accept his people and, and, and he will bless them. And so we know that day's coming. So really, the question is not when, but how can we prepare? And that's kind of where we should be. We should say, how can I prepare for this day? Because what does he say here? Look at verse two and three. You'll see this here. It says, Paul says it will come like a thief in the night and it will come like labor pains So what's he saying there? There's a suddenness to this. It's not like you'll know the exact time. So always be prepared. Always be ready for that day. And that doesn't mean like store up a bunch of water and like put a you know, put a bunch of food in your house and fill your closets with it and get a bunch of guns and bullets in there so that when it comes, you'll be ready to fight. You know, it's like. No, that's not how you prepare. The Bible doesn't present it that way. So we have to kind of think like, what does it mean to face that day? So I think it's important that we see it now. When I was thinking about like labor pains and that kind of thing, uh, the the thief idea has the idea of being sudden and unexpected. But with labor pains, it's kind of like it's sudden, but it's unavoidable. You can't avoid it. So it's there. Um, uh, Brooke Giesler in our church, she's working in the nursery today. But on we all probably all heard this, but some of you haven't on her third baby. They're living in England. She is, uh, you know, I guess close to nine months pregnant. She starts feeling these pains. She says, oh, those are labor pains. So she goes to the hospital. She climbs up like two flights of stairs because they don't have elevators in the hospitals in England, evidently, or maybe that one. I don't know. She gets up there and she's like, the baby's coming. They're like, oh, it's not coming. No big deal. You need to go home, settle down, take a warm bath, you know. And so she goes down those two flights of stairs. And by the time she's in the car, Lanny was like, this woman changed. I mean, she turned into someone different than anybody I'd ever known before. He thought she was possessed from going to the hospital. But she gets in there. She's like screaming, going crazy. And he takes her, and she's, he, she says, he says, like, we need to go back up. And she's like, I'm not going back up those steps. He takes her home. By the time they get home, she has the baby, like, almost immediately. The ambulance couldn't even, like, make it in time. They show up. They cut the cord, throw the baby to them, and take off. But it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it was sudden. And it started, like, coming, like, immediately. And I think that's something we need to understand, that the idea is always preparing and you know, people like that normally you would kind of like have your we would Anna and I like a week or two before the baby's come. we pack the bag and we're kind of ready in case it comes because we know that. And there is an element to where we as God's people should live in that state, always preparing for the day of the Lord. I want you to hear another passage just because. Uh, Matthew 24 has a lot of connection. If you read this verse and you went to read Matthew 24, you would need to read those together often. But Matthew 24 speaks of the day of the Lord. It says in verse 37 that it will come like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at a mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. It's it's very important that we understand that. That we see that. We think, I want to be prepared. I want to be prepared for that day. Because there's people around that will be saying, oh, it's peace and security all is well. And sometimes for us, like, and I'm one of the worst people to do this. It's like, I look at everything and I'm thinking in my life, I've got this done and this done and this done and this done. And I'm trying to prepare. And I want to be prepared for every possible thing that could come so that I don't have any fears about like, uh, you know, maybe not being able to make it or sustain our life or whatever. And I, I know that kind of struggle. But the reality is... You and I need to be spiritually prepared. Sometimes I think it's real easy to prepare physically or we long for that. And so we think I've got to prepare for all my physical needs and the physical needs of my family. And we think physical, 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 physical. And then all of a sudden we could look at our lives down the road and say, wait, I haven't even done anything spiritually to prepare. I've got all of this. I've got people that my financial person and this person, and that person in my life to help me prepare physically for everything I could ever imagine. And I have neglected my spiritual life. It's a dangerous thing that we face. We see here that Noah in Noah's day, the flood would hit. It's really shocking here. It's as if these people are living their life. I mean, they're sitting there like in their in their daily grind and, and it's going so fast and they're busy and they're marrying off their children. and They're doing this and they're doing that. And they have no idea that Noah, they may even have passed by and Noah's building a boat and they think he's kind of whacked out and he's doing that. And he's over there building a boat and building a boat and building a boat. And he's doing this for like a 100 years. And they're like, what is this cat doing? He's kind of crazy. It's a kind of a interesting art piece. But I mean, well, this is crazy. That he's doing that. And then the door closes and the floods begin to come. And some of them may have said, hey, we're good at hiking. We're going to hike up on top of the mountain until the rain stops. Never seen that before. But the rain keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And all of a sudden, the rain covers over the mountains and they are there and they're swept away. And there's no hope for them. This is one of those things we have to say, there's a shocking picture here. God will punish the wicked in the end. And sometimes you might say, well, you know, if you're somebody that's maybe not sure about Christianity and you look at this and you go, man, uh, how could God punish people? People aren't that bad. People aren't inherently good. But when you stand before the holiness of God as God really is and see him, you realize that just the thing that we would see small is so great. And God sees it for what it really is. And it is sin and it's an offense to him. And he will punish it and he will rightly do so. Verse four. But you are not in darkness. So here's a very important thing. He is speaking to these people and he's saying, you are not. You are not in darkness. You are not of the darkness. You are people of light, he's going to say. He's saying, you will not be surprised by this day. If you are genuinely a believer, you are thinking about this day. You are longing for this day. You are not in darkness, has the idea, as you're not the ones who are uh, uh, um, unenlightened. You, I mean, you are like, like you're not like these people who haven't been enlightened. Maybe that's the best way to say that. You are not spiritually blind. You understand these things. You're not oblivious to those things. So there are people walking in darkness. It's like they can see physically, but they're 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 not able to see the situation and how desperate it is. They're kind of blinded to it. Now, he's saying you are not this. You are children of light. Now, now what does that mean? I was thinking about how many times Jesus speaks of himself and the scriptures speak of him being the light. John 1.4 says, in him was life and the light was the light of men. John 1.8.9, he was, John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. The true light came into the world to enlighten all men. So I think it's important that we see that. John 8.12 said, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but has the light of life. So here's the thing, and I think it's important that we see that. Jesus is the light. Those who accept him, those who turn to him in faith, they experience that light. The light changes them. They, they've been enlightened to the truth about who God is, who what their sin is, and how Christ came to save them. So Christians are not going to be surprised because they've been brought into the family. They've been birthed into the family. They are children of light. This is a statement about who they are. And, and, and this family, been, it's really the picture of adoption. God is light, therefore light is in them. They've, they've been brought in this family and their nature's been transformed. So they, they long for light. They long to understand. They long to grasp the truths of Christianity and walk in light of them. So I think it's important that when we look at that, we say, this is our hope. God saved us. God imparted Light. God opened our eyes to see God changed us dramatically, radically converted us so that we are in him. Now, that will transform the way that we live. We will live now a sober life. We we will live out who we've been made by the power of God. Anna's um, mom has been over the last couple of weeks, actually, I took her to to the uh, uh, airport this morning. And uh, at like five o'clock in the morning, but uh, I took her there and we dropped her off and in, in just a couple of days ago, she had said to me, you know, Jared, uh, you and uh, or William is so much like you, you know, and she says like he, he goes out like he went out the other day and uh, to mow the yard with his little mower and he cut perfect little lines. No, not really. But he gets down. And he puts his foot up on the mower and he gets it started and he kind of goes around. and He pushes, you know, the whole yard and, you know, it took him an hour or whatever. And it's like, dude, you don't have to be that literal about, you know. But, you know, anyway, it, it looked good in his eyes after he's done. But I think it's important, like when we're thinking about that. To understand, like, William is both modeling me and he is born at some level. He's like me. He's got some of. My characteristics. It comes like what we would say naturally. It's somehow in there you just see some of those things and you're like, hey, he's like his dad. We don't know why. He just made that way. And I think it's important when we think about the Christian life, is when he says you're children of light, and he's he's brought about the new birth in us, there are things within us. The scripture says the law is written on our hearts. We long to walk in a way, we long to walk like our father because we're born of him. But not only that, we want that because not only is that inward change taking place, but then he's modeled for us how we are to live. And so I'm teaching William, this is the way to do things. This is how we live. This is the way that I want you to walk. And he's saying, "Okay, Dad, I'll walk like you walk. And so I think when we're looking at this, we're saying God has transformed us within. And then externally, as we're walking through life and we're observing through his word, through other Christians, how to walk. We began to do that. And that's what he's saying. You are children of light. Therefore, you will live a sober life. He says in verse 6 that. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, sleep and drunkenness are brought together here to show us a picture of what it means to really uh, to not be alert, it's not really a deal of like, you know, certainly the Bible teaches don't get drunk. I mean, the Bible doesn't teach don't sleep, but it does say don't be a sluggard. Right. And so but but the point here is not about sleep or drunkenness. The point is when people are asleep and when they're drunk, they're not alert. That, that's the point in this passage. And I mean, I, I keep mentioning things, but uh, recently I'm thinking about sleep I'm one of those people, and y'all may be like this. You sleep real heavy. Some people do. Some people are real light sleepers. They wake up all the time. And uh, one of the things, Jacob Duke's father, I met him recently. And uh, he wears one of those CPAP machines, you know, that were real like, You can hear them, you know, like going off and they're shooting air up in your nose anyway. And I have one, but it's always in the closet. And he like told me I was going to die at 50 if I didn't do it. And so now I started wearing it. But I'm still like one of those people that I'm so asleep when I'm asleep that the other night I took that CPAP machine like off. And I like thrust it into Anna's face and was like, what's wrong with this? And she was like, I don't know. You crazy. Throw it down. And so I threw it over. I wake up the next morning. I had no idea. Like that, that happened. So, but, but I, if somebody breaks into our house, they're going to get me. I mean, that's just the reality. You know, it's like if Anna protects us, that's good. Otherwise we're in bad shape. But I think, I think when we're looking at this, we're saying to, we need to be alert. We need to be always preparing ourselves to, 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 to be in a state of sobriety spiritually. That, that's the idea here. We need to keep our spiritual senses sharp. That's the see, sometimes I think like hmm, we can get so busy with things that really capture our attention that and, and it can be there are just so many things that we can pick up and say, oh, I'll work on this and I'll do this. And it's like an endless list of things I need to get done and so from the spiritual standpoint, I just I don't stay spiritually sharp. And so my you know, like uh, I don't know if you've ever hunted very much, but like when you, there's an element to where I feel like uh, during hunting season, as it progresses, I become like much quicker to like hear things. And to see things, and I'm focused, and I'm looking, and I'm listening, and all that stuff. And I think in the spiritual standpoint, like you and I, we need to become sober and prepared and ready. And, 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 and this is an active sobriety. You know what it says here? Put on the armor of God. He speaks again of faith, love, and hope. And it's active. We are putting that on. Now, here's the thing. If you go to church, it's not just going to church. But one of the things about going to church is that... Um, the more you hear the word, the more aware you are of this situation that we're really in, the less you are blinded by this age and this world that keeps you busy and runs all this stuff by you. That there's something about gathering around the scripture as God's people that says, wake up, focus. There's something about going to the small groups we do during the week that you're sitting down with people and you're dialoguing about the truth. and You're saying, wake up. There's something about meeting with someone for prayer that says, wake up. There's something about getting up in the mornings and spending time in the word and prayer on your own that says, wake up. It's keeping you from just kind of being lulled to sleep over and over by this Age. So he's saying that, and you notice here, the armor here is about this working faith, this laboring love, this persevering hope that he talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's something that that's what it means to, to be alert, spiritually speaking. It is a growing faith, a love of laboring, serving, and a waiting on Jesus. And longing for him. And so I think it's important that we see that because we're Christian soldiers preparing ourselves for the battle. But we're not just doing that. The battle is not just what we can see, but there's a heavenly battle. And here's the thing we're not just responsible for us, we are responsible for one another. We are to build one another up. That's why the Christian cannot live separated from the church. Because they have a responsibility to the church. You and I, the church is not primarily what I can get for myself. When you come to Christ Community Church and you say, Well, what does it do for me? What does the worship service do for me? What does the preaching do for me? What does this do for my kids? What does it do for us? How, how do I feel here? It's not that's not the biggest question. The biggest question is how can I give my life in service to this body that they might put on the armor and strive against the schemes of Satan in this age? That's one of the reasons why we at this church are not primarily in in our concept of church is not primarily, hey, come here. Every need that you could ever dream of is going to be handed to you here. We're going to just do whatever we can do to make you as happy as you can here. That's not our biggest concern. We want to glorify God, build up this body, grow you up in the faith so that you might minister and bless other people and help them stay alert and reach out to those who are in Darkness and bring them to the marvelous light. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we're about. And if you're not about that, it's probably hard to be here because it's like, no, it's about me. And we'll say, no, it's not. It's not. It's about helping others fight the battle in their mind and heart and actions so that they stand firm in these last days for the kingdom of God and for His glorious purposes. It's what we're doing. It's what we're longing for. Verse 9. Here we kind of move into this place here like God appointing, kind of God's appointment of us in in Christ's death. This is kind of the foundation for our hope. And this is kind of what you're going to see. I think it's very important that we see it here. But look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. God has destined us to be blessed. God has chosen to bless his people. God has chosen to give his love to his people. God has chosen to do that. He has brought that about. He's destined us from before the foundation of the world that Ephesians says. To to be his people, not for wrath, but blessing, not so they'll experience his wrath, but they will experience his blessing. We see that here. Now, notice the gospel, and I think it's very important. You see it. God, what we would say is God is a holy God. He is a just God. He must punish sin. There are people that are destined that, that, that have that are under his wrath. Humanity is under God's wrath and curse. But you know what we see here? We obtain salvation through Christ who died for us. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, God's wrath was placed on him. He experienced God's wrath for us so that we would not be under his wrath any longer. He took upon himself the wrath of God dying on the cross for us so that we might be saved. So that the coming storm of God's wrath would not be upon us, but that we would be rescued from it and blessed. Like Noah and his family in the ark. They were rescued from the wrath of the storm. We, too, will be rescued from that because of the grace of God that has been shown to us. that has been destined for us. Now, look at verse 10. This is where he picks up like chapter 4 at the end and chapter 5 here. We see that whether you are Awake or asleep, we might live with him. What's he saying? Whether you're alive at the coming of Christ or you died before he came. We might be with him or live with him, dwell with him. We might know him and experience him forever living with him. Verse 11. Therefore, encourage and build one another up just as you are doing. This passage is given to the church. 4.13 through 5.11, you see in 4.18 that that there's this hope that he's saying encourage here. He says in 5.11, encourage one another, build one another up. This is the time to say, listen, here's the greatest joyous, like joy filled message ever. Those who know the Lord, those who've turned from their sin and trusted in Christ alone, those people they will experience blessing on the coming day of the Lord. That's the wonderful truth. God has saved you. And now you're to live in a way that you're to live like the saved as you prepare yourself for the coming day of the Lord. The sad part is that those who are outside of Christ have, again, no hope. I want you to turn to Matthew 24 and we'll conclude with this today. Matthew 24, verse 51, or 45, sorry. Matthew 24, 45. I want you to see the the, the two things here. the The separation between the two people. Those who are in Christ. Those who are outside of Christ. Matthew 24, 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant. Whom his master has set over his household. To give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant. Whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you. He will set him over all his possessions. You see, those who've been saved by the grace of God will walk in a way in in a way that would be honoring to him. They will do the will of the father. They're not in the family because of their merit, but by the merit of Christ, they're saved. But out of the transformation that God has done in their hearts, they will be about the master's work. They'll long to be an obedient people. But look at verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on, on a day when he does not expect him and an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He will live in rebellion and he will face the judgment that he deserves. So I just say to you today, I don't know where you are. All I would say is this this is the most encouraging, and repeat that one more time the most encouraging thing for the people of God to know that in the end, that when the coming day of God's wrath upon humanity comes, that God will save his people and he will punish the wicked and for us as his people here today this could give us great hope and great joy and at the same time it could cause, should cause us to want to be more prepared and more useful because we want to go out into the world for uh, to tell the, the message of the gospel of light to those who are in darkness so that they might hear and so that they might live for Christ and we also understand at this, and this is something if you're here today and you are outside of Christ you're living in rebellion against him I would say to you turn from your sins today you have no idea the day that Christ is coming we do not know and your only hope is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who come to save us you do not rescue yourself there's no hope in yourself when you stand before God one day it will be upon the Christ by his work alone that you could have salvation and so I say to you repent believe the gospel that Christ came to save sinners and you will find his mercy and you will stand before him one day Filled with joy as he says to you, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have rescued a people for yourself. Lord, we come today as people that are easily move off track. We easily get focused on the wrong stuff. We pray that you'd make us people who are always ready. Always longing to be a witness for you. Always longing to bless others. Lord, we, we get off track by our attitude. We could get really negative. We can get off track by our anger. We can get off track by our desire to to advance in this world. We can get off track by doing all kinds of things for our kids. Or for our work. Or for different things we can do all kinds of ways we can get off of the focus that we should have. Lord, we pray that you would get us focused today, that you would help us be sober and to be ready for for the return of Christ. And we pray we'd be more uh, excited about sharing with others. Lord, I pray if there's someone here who does not know Christ, that they would come today in repentance and faith, trusting in him alone to save them. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.